Welcome to the Instructional Redesign Podcast. I'm Joe Suarez. My co-host, Kara North, is currently attending the ATD Core 4 conference in Nashville, Tennessee, and she's really bummed she couldn't be here to join me today to talk with none other than Heidi Kirby. According to her LinkedIn profile, Heidi is a learning and development leader, champion of organizational learning culture, and the host of her own L&D-themed podcast that she's called The Block Podcast. I'm excited to chat with her today. Welcome, Heidi, to the show. Thanks for having me, and boo on Kara. <laughs> yeah, how dare she at the conference. Especially I know, especially because I have FOMO. <laughs> Same. Uh, so I wanted to get you on the podcast for a while now because I know you've successfully made the transition from being a teacher to an instructional designer. And I know that's a really hot topic now as many others are looking to do the same. But I learned from your recent appearance on TLDC that you're also conducting your own job search, uh, a targeted job search. That's right. And those are both great topics of discussion that kind of play into each other. Um, so I'm happy to have you on and, uh, let's just start by, you know, give a summary of your background and your journey to how you got to where you are today. Sure. So I actually got my start in the learning world and in the career world as a college English professor. And I was an adjunct professor at a lot of different colleges where I live in Northeast Ohio. And I, during that time, my goal was to become a full-time tenured professor, but there weren't a lot of opportunities, so I decided to go back to school and get a master's in education. And the only thing that that degree was good for was that it taught me what instructional design was and that it was a thing that people did as a separate career. And so um, when I became pregnant with my son, I was like, man, this is not working. Like, I can't be working randomly 12 hours a day with random breaks if I'm going to have to pay for and send a child to daycare, especially with, you know, inconsistent schedule, inconsistent pay, things like that. And so I decided to start a doctoral program, you know, the reasonable thing to do, start a doctoral program in instructional design and technology. And um, probably one, or two semesters in, I was like, wait a minute, I'm already doing all of this in the classroom. I wonder if I can just take some time to fill in those knowledge gaps and get a get a role in instructional design before I'm done with the PhD program. And so I spent some time scaling back my courses I was teaching and listening to podcasts and watching webinars and brushing up on all the different tools and building a portfolio. And I was lucky enough to land my first instructional design role with NASA of all places and had a fantastic hiring manager um, who is still a really great friend of mine, still a really great mentor and was just really, really lucky enough to start there and then and then kind of moved on to some different places and pretty quickly realized that while I love instructional design, leadership was calling me a little bit more and, you know, leading projects, leading learning functions, leading people was something I was really passionate about. And so I kind of started to carve a career path that was more, more geared towards leadership and 
Um, just recently finished a role where I was manager of learning solutions for a software as a service company. Um, along the way, also started my own podcast for learning and development and started networking a lot on LinkedIn. And that's kind of where I'm at today. Awesome. So two things strike me about your story. So one, I really like that you leveraged freely available resources like podcasts and webinars and things <laughs> like that. Um, that that would be my first recommendation for people that are thinking about making a similar transition, especially before you pursue any kind of paid resources, is to just go yes. check and see what's freely available. And then if you need to have like specific um, maybe software training or something like that, that then you can go out to um, some paid options. Another thing that struck me was that uh, fairly quickly you wanted to make a transition into leadership. So can you describe a little bit more um, how you kind of navigated that transition? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I did was um, I knew that I at least needed to get to kind of a senior level. And the place where I was working at the time where I kind of came to this realization um, my manager was like, yeah, I don't really see you as promotion material. And that pretty quickly told me kind of where I stood within that organization. And so um, the day I had that conversation with that manager, oddly enough, um, I can't make it up. I was contacted by a recruiter from another company who was like, hey, I've been watching you. We want to hire you for this position. And so I went and I just talked with the hiring manager for that other position and said very like upfront, I want to be a leader someday. I want to, you know, be a chief learning officer or something like that one day. And she was like, that's awesome. I would love to teach you everything I know. And I would love you to someday take my place when I also too want to move up. And so she really took me under her wing and she was like, you know, you've got all this great instructional design knowledge and experience, but like you're missing kind of the organizational development piece and kind of like the higher level strategy and vision piece. And so she really helped me by putting me on projects that she was working on that had to do with performance and talent development and leadership development and all of these different opportunities where I could really just kind of hone leadership skills. But she also did something else super important. We had a contractor who was helping us with some projects because we had a couple of people leave and then their, their spaces weren't filled. And so we were working with this contractor who was hired on for 40 hours a week to kind of help pick up that slack. And she was like, you are going to unofficially lead this contractor and act like she is your direct report and manage her work and help her out and help her learn the ropes and everything. So she really gave me an opportunity to practice leadership in a safe space. And it was kind of from there that, um, you know, unfortunately that role I was laid off due to COVID, but it was kind of from there where I was able to kind of take that experience and leverage it. And in my next role, I was in charge of basically kind of like the learning and development arm of a very tiny startup. But I also got to lead the part-time contractors that were part of that startup. And then that led to my most recent position where I had official quote unquote direct reports. Awesome. Um, yeah, I'm really glad you, you know, didn't take that first manager's um, <laughs> advice that you, or at least not take Me them too. at their word that you're not promotional material uh, sure. and you moved on to something greater. 
and that you were fortunate enough to have a good manager after that, that developed you. And looking back in hindsight, after 13 years in the corporate space, uh, I learned so much from managers, both good and bad, but I really look back and I'm so appreciative of the good managers I had that would identify growth areas for me and, Mm -hmm. you know, give me opportunities to get better in that. So yeah, so that kind of brings us to today. Like I said at the the opening you shared in your recent TLDC episode, which I'll I'll put a link to that in the show notes, but you shared that you're currently doing a job search. So um, tell me about how that is going and uh, elaborate a little bit on your strategic approach to uh, how you're going about all that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, for all the people who are looking for a job out there, it is it, it can be rough. And it can be rough no matter how and where you are in the search. You know, I have a lot of people who assume that because I have a podcast and because I appear on different people's podcasts and talk talk loudly in the field, that it will be easy for me to find a position. And that hasn't been the case, honestly. Um, I actually have not experienced a lot of recruiters or people in general from the places that I've been applying, who've been checking out my LinkedIn. Um, I've actively been looking for a role for about two months now, and I still haven't found the right fit. Um, But that said, like you mentioned, I've kind of, I'm doing a targeted job search and it's really, um, you know, me having to take my own advice of not using the shotgun approach and send my resume to 200 random job postings, right? Um, I've really taken some time to figure out what it is I want to do. And I also encourage people who are at any phase of the job search, whether it's an L&D or not, to do the same thing. Really look at the different job postings that are out there. I've talked to a lot of people who are trying to get into instructional design just even in the last three weeks or so. And some of them are just so... They don't even know where to begin. And instructional design is like, for whatever reason right now, it's like the feeder from education. People are like, oh, you should work in instructional design. And um, the people I talk to, some of them, after like five minutes of talking to them, I'm like, you're not interested in this at all. Like, this is way wrong for you. Um, So I always encourage people, if you think you know what you want, to start looking at job postings for those types of roles. Start looking at the different responsibilities, the different, um, some job postings do this really nice thing where they have like after 30 days, after 60 days, after 90 days, here's what you can expect. Find some job postings like that so you can get a really good picture of what the role entails and then start looking for the commonalities between the postings because that's going to give you a better idea of what it is that you're going for. And so if you find a role that you're like, okay, every posting I've read for this kind of role resonates with me. I think this is, I think I'm on the right track. That's kind of step one to finding um, a good role, but also something my friend Erin Chancellor told me to do has really stuck with me. Um, She told me that if you go on Glassdoor And you go on the profile section, there's like this area where you can select specific uh, like job 
characteristics, for lack of a better term, that are important to you. So like work-life balance, uh, career development opportunities, compensation benefits, strong company leadership, things like that. And she told me to go on there. She was like, pick your top three and then remind yourself every day when you're looking at jobs, what those three things are. And that's also been really, really helpful. And the other thing is to not panic. Um, This is something that I've been guilty of (laughs) a number of times where I start to panic and I'm like, okay, maybe I should just, you know, maybe I'm not going to find something. Maybe I should just, you know, go down a couple of levels, stay at the individual contributor level or, you know, do something that is not what I originally had in mind, but that I think could be easier to attain. Right. And it's kind of been in those moments where friends and support system and my husband have been like, that's not what you wanted. That's not what you're planning on doing. Like you did not resign from your position so that you could take like a job that you weren't excited about. Right. So those are kind of like the top three. I also just recorded um, a podcast episode that I released today where I talk um, a little bit more broadly about kind of my takeaways from the job search too. So many good nuggets in in what you just said. Um, you know, starting with people don't know where to begin. People are just yeah. kind of scrambling to find something other than teaching that they can go into. Yes. And instructional design is, is definitely a logical uh, step from that. For sure. Um, my wife happens to be a nurse in, in particular, a nurse educator. And oh, okay. she's described to me before how she'll have some students that kind of are in it for the wrong reasons. Maybe they've heard it's just a lucrative thing to get into. And kind of what you were describing, it's the same thing. It's like, if you're not in it for the right reasons, you're not going to last. Um, you for really sure. have to be dedicated to the profession in some way or, or want to have some desire yeah. to be in a way that helps you out, gets you to persist through the tough times and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's interesting to hear that that you're um, hearing similar things with um, people looking to get into to instructional design. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say, too, that there are, as coming from the hiring manager side of things, because I did hire an instructional designer to my team in my most current role, um, and coming from that world, there are two big red flags for those who want to get into instructional design that tells me that the person isn't serious. Number one is that they don't have a portfolio. When I started in ID like four, four and a half years ago, a portfolio was like a nice to have, but now it's almost mission critical. It's almost as important as your resume, especially because we have so many educators coming into the field. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to have to create content for an employer, which is also, unfortunately, a common part of the interview process nowadays, you need to have a portfolio to show what you're capable of. And if you don't, and if you can't commit to creating that portfolio, that tells me as a hiring manager that you're not dedicated to the craft yet because you haven't taken the time to go ahead and and make that. And the other thing is just like glaringly obvious and such a small, easy thing to fix. But People who have in their LinkedIn profile or somewhere else on their website or whatever, the um, something that is along the lines of looking for my next adventure 
or, you know, like, um, aspiring, you know, something that, something that is non-committal, like a non-committal phrasing for instructional design. Like, no, if you're not confident to say that you're an instructional designer because you're an educator and you don't want to mislead somebody, say that you are an expert learning professional, say that you are a, um, you know, you're dedicated to helping people learn, like say something that's true, but that like is committal, right? Yeah. And I couldn't agree more. And that would indicate to me that the person is being way too broad in the types yeah. of jobs that they're applying for, that yes. they might even be keeping themselves open for the possibility of maybe other teaching roles. Like they haven't fully sure. committed to the transition or, or maybe they're trying to transition into other industries as well, which yeah. there's not anything necessarily wrong with that. But like you said, you're kind of giving maybe not mixed signals, but misleading uh, indicators about what you're really looking for. For sure. Uh, not, another thing you mentioned was around portfolios. I definitely agree that a portfolio is a must-have. I also just yesterday saw a posting from um, a recruiter that works for an instructional design and e-learning agency. She was basically saying that she no longer wants to see people applying to jobs where all they have in their portfolio is templated stuff. That's just something right out of the box that they put up on their portfolio, because that is almost as bad as having no portfolio at all. It's kind of like your credit report. Like (laughs) if you have bad credit, it's almost better to have no credit than bad credit. (laughs) It's the same kind of thing with a portfolio. And I, I totally understand the pressure that people have where they're like, oh my gosh, I just learned I need to have a portfolio and I don't have anything. What do I do? How do I do it? Where do I put it? What do I put in it? And they go yeah. out and they try these tools and they only have maybe like 30 days to uh, with the trial version to learn it and then get something halfway decent up. So it's very tempting to just find some kind of template and post it up there or maybe even steal some um, e-learning heroes examples that, that people sure, have posted sure. freely available yeah. and things like that. And what this hiring manager was saying was basically, please don't do that. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to give that advice to people as well. Yeah. And on that same note, a couple of things. So first and foremost, I tell people constantly, there's there's this, sometimes people get eager and they want to download the free trials of every tool at once. Don't do that. Do not do that. Yes. Plan yes. it to create things. Like don't download the storyline trial until you have a storyboard that you're planning on downloading it and building because you don't have a lot of time to do that, right? And so things like that where it's like, resist the urge to download everything at once because you're excited and Mm -hmm. create a plan of like, okay, I'm going to create this piece first, this piece second. And then on that note about templated things, um, while technology is super important to our field, don't get me wrong. I am somebody who believes that like people who do not innovate with technology in our field are going to get left behind. It is not the only thing that is important to the field. So when you are displaying your portfolio pieces, you need to talk about your design process. You should arguably have a portfolio piece that shows your design process from inception to the finished product. And it doesn't have to be, the other thing is people think they have to create this whole course. It can be just a sampling. Like I tell people to treat it like Costco, right? Like 
You go to like your Costco or your Sam's Club. They don't give you the whole bag of chips. That would be silly. (laughs) They give you enough to make you go, I think I want to buy this, right? So do that when you're making your portfolio, but also take some time to explain your process, to show some of the different pieces of the process. You don't have to do it for every portfolio piece, but like at least one of your pieces should show your design process. That does two things. It makes people realize that you are not ripping something off from the internet because you can explain how you got from start to finish. But then the other thing that it does is it makes people realize that you don't just know the technology, you know what it takes to create other than just learning the tool. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, if somebody is really hyper-focused in having a targeted job search, they can even tailor their portfolio to be examples that are in the industry that they're targeting. So if it's like healthcare, they can have um, examples of, of maybe what you would do in certain situations in an emergency room or, you know, whatever it is, um, you can tailor your portfolio the same way. So, and it it just, having been somebody that's been on the other side of the table and has interviewed folks and looked at portfolios, I know the hiring manager wants to see examples that they can see employed in the role that they're hiring for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And one of the things that stuck out to me about the person I ended up hiring for the instructional design position that I had open was that the person put how long it took them to create each of their different portfolio pieces. Now, that's not necessary by any means, but it was like a nice thing to see like, Oh, even with your learning curve, like you're you're saying how long this project took, which I thought was interesting. That was a different one. I've never seen that before. Yeah, and, and actually that reminds me in that post I was just mentioning from from the hiring manager that I saw yesterday on LinkedIn. Yeah. I think she actually said something along those lines as well. Oh, uh, okay. Nice. About knowing how long things take. Yeah. Um, because if 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 an agency is looking to hire an instructional designer, they, they definitely want to <laughs> know, okay, uh we're we're paying you hourly. So we kind of want to know how long, how many hours (laughs) it's going to take you to do some basic stuff or complex stuff. Yeah. Um, And one thing I don't want to get too far away from was that uh, glass door advice that uh, was it Aaron Chancellor. Is that? Yes. Yeah. That, that I didn't know about that, that you could actually go in there and, and search that way. Um, That's really cool advice. And, you know, you mentioned, um, staying focused and not panicking and basically not settling and definitely like i know like there's it's just a roller coaster when you're in a job search and you're applying to things um and you get super excited and like you you have to like see yourself in the role and then like glimmers of hope and then there's rejections and (laughs) it's just all over the place um and in that process you're in this emotional state where it's kind of hard to see the forest yeah. from the trees. So yeah, I really like how you mentioned just running things by somebody that you know and trust to kind of get their opinion. Because sure. uh, I found myself in a very similar situation to what you were saying, where I left this healthcare company um, to go someplace. I was only there a few months. And then like you, I was laid off because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And then I found myself searching for a job. And in one situation, I found myself um, interviewing for 
one of the main competitors to the former healthcare company I used to work for oh, sure. in a, in a lesser position than I had before. Oh. And I'm, I had to stop myself and be like, wait a minute, <laughs> did I make the decision to leave that healthcare company to then six months <laughs> later end up at their competitors for yeah. working for less? So for sure. definitely run things by people that can kind of level set you um, in, in that way. So part of the interview process could be that the hiring manager gives you an assignment where they're asking you to demonstrate in some way that you can design and develop something. And I have very mixed feelings about this. I could <laughs> ramble on forever, but but I want to get your take on, on that as well and what your advice would be for someone who is asked to create an assignment as part of the interview process. Yeah, absolutely. I can't remember if I made a post about this or if I engaged in someone else's post, but there was a lot of, like you said, mixed feelings. Um, My opinion is this. If you are having someone who is applying to your role create something to see what it would be like if they worked for your organization, then you are doing it for the wrong reason. Let me explain. If you are saying, okay, person who applied for this job, Joe, give us 30 minutes of content on whatever you want. Um, A number one, giving an assignment that is too broad is setting your applicant up for failure because they don't know what you want and you probably have some sort of idea of what you're looking for and you haven't fairly communicated that to the applicant. Number two, you are creating such a horrible situation for that person to create work in because likely they're going to be spending time that they wouldn't, that is not similar to what they would have if they were employed by you, right? Like they're going to work late nights. They're going to be, you know, trying to spend more time than they probably should on something. And you're probably giving them a turnaround time that is shorter than what they would have in real life. So you're not even creating a similar situation to what they'd be working in if you hired them. So that's the first problem that I have with it. Um, But that said, there are situations where I think it is done right. I've seen some people who say, we give a very specific assignment where we ask people, you know, like some people do like the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Tell us how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich thing. And they do that very kind of like um, traditional assignment or they give somebody a very short but specific prompt to see what they can come up with. I've also seen kind of a working session where they give someone like a learning problem or they give them something and then they discuss with the person how they would tackle it, what they would design and what that might look like. And so instead of them trying to hurry up and create something, it's more of a conversation to make sure they're on the same page with what they potentially would create. The difference I think is this, hiring managers who know about instructional design and know what they're doing and hiring managers that don't. And I think hiring managers that don't know instructional design and don't know what they're doing, see other people doing these types of assignments and think, oh, I got to have them make something to see who's the best. And that's when they're really setting these applicants up for failure. And on the applicant side, I would say that if someone is asking you for lengthy work to 
discontinue the process. If someone is asking you for like very specifically branded to that company work where it's not just a piece, it's like, oh, you know, create a course for our company on X, they may sometimes be trying to get free work out of you. I couldn't agree more. And I've actually had experiences both internally and as a job candidate where I've seen that play out. Yeah. Um, where I watched internally as they gave somebody stuff that they were currently working on and said, show us what you can do. And I'm like, oh. do you not realize that you basically have proprietary stuff in here for what we're we're doing and you're yeah. letting job applicants submit you're basically getting free work out of people and yeah if this isn't illegal it should be and absolutely in in hindsight i kind of wish i would have spoken up and then as a job applicant sure. um i've been presented with stuff where i'm like okay this isn't specifically like something you're actually doing but i could see this where I, I submit something to you and you could then turn around and either use that or I could give you ideas that you could then turn around and, and use yourself, at which yeah. point you're getting free consulting out of me. Right. right. And, and yeah, I have one, one more horror story. And this is yeah. the worst one of all. Um, I was interviewing for with an insurance company locally and they uh, gave me an assignment that they wanted to redo their leadership curriculum or something like that. And they wanted help on trying to figure out how to go, how to approach that with their current LMS. Oh. Uh, but there was like one little clause in the assignment that said like either come up with something for us or come prepared to have a discussion about it. Okay. So I'm like, I'm not, I'm not giving you free work. So yeah, we can right. have a discussion. And I come into the interview and they brought in like their their head of their leadership development and some um, senior leader in the room. Like I was basically a consultant giving uh, yeah. advice. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I took the let's have a conversation route. And you could kind of tell that they were a little disappointed. I'm like, wow, this is this is very telling. And of course, I didn't get the job. Yeah. Um, somebody that I know in the area, if I were to say their name, you would know them they went through the same exact experience wow. and it's like companies it, it's just amazing they're even trying to get away with this and it just puts job applicants especially ones that are feeling desperate for a job and and you know you get so far in the process this is usually like the second or third round where where you're asked to do an assignment and you know you're so invested in it up to that point mm -hmm. you feel really conflicted about what you should do in that point and yeah. even in the situations where I turned it down and said, I'm not doing this or tried to walk, walk it back where I'm like, I don't understand what in my portfolio doesn't demonstrate what right. you're looking for. Right. And they're like, well, we're really looking to see. Um, one time they said, we just want to see your creativity shine in the in what you can do for us. And I'm like, I think my portfolio already adequately yeah. demonstrates that um so again it just puts people in a in a, a pickle really and i really feel for, for sure. people that are doing that and to all the hiring managers out there definitely make whatever assignment you're you're giving short and sweet yeah never i would say more than four hours ideally like one or two yeah and um um never anything that could ever be turned around and used 
uh, as, as something in your company. Absolutely. And a lot of people ask, they're like, well, how can I tell? And what I tell people to do is when they get to that point in the interview process to ask the recruiter, hey, I just want to make sure that it's okay that once I create this for your company, I can go ahead and use it on my portfolio when we're done. And if you ask that question and the answer is, oh yeah, sure, add it to your portfolio, then it means that they are not looking to use it to make money off of you. Mm -hmm. And um, also be careful of any NDAs that you're asked to sign. Some people are asked to sign NDAs before they get to that step in the interview process. And what that's doing is ensuring that you can't use what you've created for them on your portfolio. So those are kind of the two tips that I would use to differentiate who's just honestly trying to see your work and who's not. Yeah. Huge red flag there if you have to sign an NDA for sure. Yeah, obviously we could go on and on for, for I think an hour talking about just that topic and, and how much it, it irks us. Um, but I definitely want to give you a moment to talk about your podcast. Um, yeah. You know, when Kara and I started this podcast, it's crazy to think uh, it was back in 2017. So we've been doing this for over four years. But at the time, I really wasn't hearing the kind of podcasts I wanted to hear. And sure. there were a few out there that I wasn't aware of, but now it it's just exploded with all these podcasts and yeah. so many of them are good that I just have a hard time keeping up with them all. But there for are a sure. few that bubble up to the top that I always find room to listen for. And yours is one of them. Aww, so it's called the Block Podcast, which mm -hmm. stands for Building Learning and organization, Organizational Culture. Building Learning yeah. and Organizational Culture. So I'll, I'll give you a minute. I'll, I'll let you describe it. Yeah, sure. So it kind of started as um, something I always wanted to do um, that I tried to float to a couple different organizations to sponsor because I didn't really have time to start it on my own. So like I had pitched an internal podcast to a couple of different places and they were like, hmm, seems OK, but nah. But it was really for um, this the startup that I worked for for a short period of time where I pitched it to the founder and said like, hey, I kind of want to do this podcast. Do you think it'd be a good way to market the product? And he was like, yeah, like make it about whatever you want. And then we'll just have an ad spot on there. And you can actually still hear the ad spot in the first, I, I don't even remember how many episodes, 15 or something like that episodes. I've never taken it out, even though I moved on and, and kind of now own the podcast myself. But um, the whole goal was just to like talk to people about L&D. And it was mostly because podcasts like yours really helped me when I was getting started in the field. And so I just wanted to kind of like continue that conversation. And it's grown into this like, it's not that hard for me to find people to come on and talk anymore because I'll either have a great conversation with somebody or somebody reaches out and says, hey, I think you should talk to this person for your podcast or, um, you know, I go on other people's podcasts and then they come on mine. And so we just kind of share it, but it's become this like really nice, um, nice way to learn what's going on in the field for me. But then I get to like share it with everyone else too. So it's really, I, I love that part of it where it's like, yeah, I'm learning something new and now I get to turn around and share it with everybody else. So it's been so yep. much fun. Yeah, you're giving away you're giving away the secret, which is uh, I get just as much out of it as as the audience yes. probably does. Yeah, hundred percent. It's, 
great to chat with with people like you, but I also end up learning a lot as a result. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's what and and there was um it was a podcast producer. I don't remember who it was, but they were like having a podcast isn't as easy as sitting down and talking to experts in your field and they were obviously trying to like sell their their production, you know, services or whatever, but I was like, well, then what the heck is mine cuz that's all I do. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, anything else that you're doing or or anything where we can expect to hear more uh, from Heidi Kirby that, that you want to <laughs> plug before I let you go? Um, I, I am working on a scenario-based learning course in partnership with EduFlow right now. And so um, that's, it is, is something that's not going to be free. Um, I mostly like to do free things, but this is going to be um, help Heidi pay off our student loans, but that'll be coming <laughs> probably in like January of next year. And I hope to do more stuff like that because I don't want to just be the person who's sharing my opinion on LinkedIn. Like I want to be able to actually create content that matters for the field and be able to kind of also like say, I can, I can share my opinion because I have expertise. Right. So. Right. Right. Well, we'll look <laughs> forward to that. And January is probably around when this episode will drop. So if you get a link awesome. to that, I can definitely uh, put it in the show notes and Perfect. people can can check that out. Sweet. So Heidi, thanks so much for being on the podcast. We definitely yeah, appreciate it. And again, me. I'm sure Kara would have loved to have been here. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so once again, thank you to Heidi for being here. My name is Joe Suarez, and we will talk to you in the next episode. I wanted to end this episode with a good news update. Heidi did find a job, and you can listen to episode 40 of her podcast for full details on that.